0: And then last week, I also confessed to you what the number one vote-getter was, e- Ecclesiastes. Everything is meaningless. So apparently, you all are a bunch of existential, uh, you feel like the world is meaningless, and you want to hear about the meaninglessness of life, so here we go. Uh, we're going to jump into the book of Ecclesiastes this week and the next several weeks. Uh, I don't know how long it'll take us to get through it, but we're going to uh, just dive Head first into this book and explore what it might have to say to us today. So before we jump in, let's say a word of prayer. God, we're grateful for your presence here with us. Make us mindful of your love and wake us up to more of who you are and who you've created us to be. and when, at times, we experience life as meaningless. Reveal to us a deeper reality, a deeper goodness, a deeper love, a deeper purpose to all of life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, this book begins with these words, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So, uh, teacher is koaleth in Hebrew, uh, and it means a leader of the assembly. So this is what we know about this person. Uh, we don't have a proper name. Uh, because it says son of David king in Jerusalem, many people believe that Solomon was the author. Uh, most scholars say probably not likely. Uh, this writ- book was written sometime long after the days of Solomon. Uh could have been a king, a later king, uh, who could have also referred to himself as son of David, coming in the line of David, uh, but ultimately we we don't know exactly who wrote this or exactly when it was written. Uh, All we know is this person is referred to as a teacher, Koaleth, uh, the leader of an assembly. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which uh, just simply meant a public gathering, uh, it later became the term we would use for church. So the English church is translated from the Greek ecclesia. Uh, and so what we're in right now, a public gathering or the church. And so uh, what we know is that uh, this person was a teacher, uh, possibly a king, and was a leader of a public assembly, of a public gathering, and had some things to say. Starting with meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Why do? What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And so right away, uh, it's a real pick-me-up. Uh, and, I mean, o- often we go to the scriptures for words of comfort, uh, for words of hope. Uh, so immediately we, we gotta be asking, what? what, what is this book doing in the Bible? Like who, who voted to say yes to that book? I, and I will tell you, it was the group of people in the back corner who are the cynics, the skeptics, the doubters, those who wrestle with the existential questions of life. And they said, that book stays because I'm wrestling with the same questions, uh, There were sages, next slide, who sought to withdraw the book of Koalath because its words are mutually contradictory. Uh, There are words within the book of Ecclesiastes that contradict themselves, and there are plenty of words in the book of Ecclesiastes that contradict other words in the scriptures altogether. Uh, I love that. (laughs) Might unnerve some of you, might be unsettling, uh, but isn't this true of our lives? We live with internal contradictions, don't we? We we live internally conflicted so often around so many things. Here we have a book written by someone who is conflicted, who contradicts himself and just simply doesn't care uh, because he's wrestling with deep, questions in life. This is considered one of the uh, wisdom books, believe it or not, uh, the wise sayings, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Uh, um, and it's slightly different than the wisdom book of Proverbs. Uh, you know, Proverbs, we read Proverbs and what we get uh, often are, follow the wise path, become wise, do good, and, and you will prosper. If you follow the foolish path, it will lead to destruction uh this teacher though is talking about a different kind of wisdom and it's wrestling with this here's what i think one of the themes of this book is this is someone who says i followed the wise path i pursued wisdom i pursued goodness and i still got screwed i, I did the right thing and i still got a raw deal uh, I think everyone here can relate to that on some level, even if it was something years ago for you. You're like, "I did, I did the right thing, and I got burned." Uh, I think this teacher is wrestling with that question. It's one of the things he's wrestling with. I pursued wisdom, and it just feels meaningless because I got a raw deal. I think this teacher still has something to say to us today. He says generations come and generations go, over and over again. Death is a big theme in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's like, hey, we all die, so what does it matter? Uh, Generations come and generations go. No no one remembers. I find it interesting that a good 2,500 years later, we remember. Here we are 2,500 years later, reading the words of one who said no one's going to remember generations come and generations go he says uh, verse 11 no one remembers the former generations even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them Uh, in 2012 uh, Paul McCartney performed at the Grammys and a whole bunch of young people on social media were like who who is that guy (laughs) who's he uh, and I, I love this story uh, about Eugene Peterson. He passed away this past year. Uh, he's a pastor, teacher, author. Uh, one of his students one day said to him, uh, you're never going to believe this. Bono quoted you. And Eugene Peterson was like, wonderful. Who's Bono? <laughs> Which is great because the two of them later collaborated on a project on the Book of Psalms. Uh, generations come and generations go, no one remembers, all of life is meaningless. He even says, uh, the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The word hurries there literally means pants. So he's even saying, even the rhythms of creation are weary. Even creation is like, really, again? The sun's like, didn't we do this yesterday? Uh, which is so much different than... Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And further down, uh, talking about the sun in the heavens, God has pinched, pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes it fu- its full circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And so the psalmist is saying, This is amazing. Look at creation. It's so amazing. And we get to Ecclesiastes, like, boring. Uh, And so this author, this teacher, is wrestling with, is there really any purpose to life? He says, "...all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear of its filling or of hearing." What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And so we're interacting. And this is the way I like to look at this and the Bible. We get to interact with it. Uh, We get to wrestle with it. And here's someone who's uh, wrestling internally and wrestling with God. Uh, one of the uh, scholars I'm looking at is Ellen Davis, and she says this, Consider the contradictions as the way Coleth conveys that it is only when we confront irreconcilable contradictions that we know we are grappling with the real questions of life. Wisdom transcends the contradictions. Uh, we have to grapple with the real questions of life. And we have to grapple with the types of things Coleth is wrestling with. Uh, th- this is part of the beauty of so many of the Psalms uh, where the, the, the psalmists are wrestling with God. Uh, a number of scholars think that Psalm 39 kind of laid the framework for the teacher writing the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, and this psalm is attributed to David, who's considered this great king. And and uh, he says, show me Lord, my life's end and the number of my days, let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Uh, And further down he says, hear my prayer, Lord, listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. And then this is how he ends the psalm it ends with this line. Look away from me, that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. Uh, this was a song. You going to lead us in that one, John? <laughs> no? uh, David's saying this, and it ends speaking to God and saying, just look away from me. Just look away. Uh, here's the thing, though. And we see it in Ecclesiastes, too, when he mentions God. He says, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Uh, What we get with some of the psalmists and what we get with the teacher are people who are wrestling with God. And we need to know it's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to question. It's okay to doubt. Guess what? God can handle it. God can handle it. And this teacher is wrestling with the meaning of life, wrestling with God. And David says, just look away from me. You know, David knows. God won't look away. God never looks away. When we're wrestling with the deep, Questions of life, when we're wrestling with our own internal conflict, when we're wrestling with our own pain, what the psalmists knew, and what I think the teacher knows, and what we know, is that God is present in all of it. God is right there in the midst of what we may feel is meaningless what we may feel, uh, we did the right thing and got burned. Doug made mention of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and as we think about tomorrow, we we celebrate this person who led the civil rights movement. Uh, and as I think about this text and this, this theme of... Uh, people who do the right thing and get burned for it, Uh, most of them we we don't know and never will know, people who have died for what they believe in, people who have been jailed for what they believe in, Uh, most of them, we don't know their names. But tomorrow we celebrate a man whose name we know, who did the right thing over and over and over again and got persecuted for it. He saw something that others couldn't understand and couldn't see, and he led the charge on it, and he got persecuted for it. He got investigated and intimidated by the FBI for it. He got jailed for it, and through that experience, we get something like the letter from Birmingham Jail, one of his most remarkable writings, following after the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, who was in jail for doing the right thing and writing letters to the churches. Uh, and ultimately, Dr. Martin Luther King got killed for it. He got killed for doing the right thing. He, he, uh, even faced severe pressure from other African Americans who, who told him, your way of doing it will never work, man. It'll never work. We need to rise up. And Dr. King stayed true to the way of Jesus. And he believed the best possible way is the way of Jesus. The best possible way is the way of active, nonviolent resistance. And he stayed true to it, to his death, and he refused to go a different direction. And he would say things like this, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And so he refused to go the way of retribution and hatred and darkness and violence. And instead said, no, I, I am going to walk the path. I'm going to do the right thing. And he ultimately died for doing the right thing. Uh, there were dark moments in his life where he wrestled, deeply conflicted, over doing the right thing and being persecuted for it. Uh, And it makes me think of Jesus' earliest followers who did the right thing. And history tells us almost every one of them martyred for doing the right thing. The Apostle Paul jailed and, and most likely, we believe, killed for doing the right thing. Jesus did the right thing and he got put on a cross for it. And so this is a a different kind of wisdom. There is wisdom that says, do the right thing, follow the path of wisdom, and you will prosper. Do the wrong thing, do the foolish thing, and it'll be your destruction. And then there's wisdom that says, wait a minute, that's not my experience. Uh, I see foolish people who prosper all the time. I see wise people who don't. So what does that mean? And we have a teacher here who's willing to wrestle with those questions and willing to say it just feels meaningless. feels meaningless right now. Uh, This word meaningless is the word hebel or hebel. People pronounce it differently. It literally means vapor or mist or breath. And he's just saying our life is a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. So what? what's the purpose? Uh, why pursue the wise way when we could just pursue the foolish way and we're both going to die, the wise and the foolish alike? Uh, he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So he wrestles with what, what is my place here? What is my purpose? What is my meaning? Cause it doesn't feel like there is any right now. And so I think for us, we are invited to wrestle with that reality as well. Uh, what is my purpose? What is my meaning? And, and in the seasons of life, the experiences you've had where you feel like you followed the path of wisdom. You were doing the right thing and you got a raw deal. Really, God? Really? Uh, it's okay. It's okay to ask those questions and to wrestle with it. I'm, uh, and many of you maybe too, but I'm remembering uh, someone else who passed away this past week. Uh, we lost a great voice this past week Mary Oliver, uh, fantastic poet. Won the Pulitzer, um, and she has uh, so many great poems. I, I want to read one to you that I think connects deeply uh, with what the teacher in Ecclesiastes is wrestling with, and uh, this theme that we're all going to die. So what does that mean? Uh, she writes a poem when death comes. When death comes, like the hungry bear in autumn. When death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering, what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And I look upon time as no more than an idea. And I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy, and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, toward silence and each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened, or full of argument, I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. I think the author of Ecclesiastes is wrestling with simply having visited this world. Is there anything more? Is there anything more to the span of the years of my life is there any purpose? Is there any meaning? Uh, I've pursued the path of wisdom, and it only brought pain. So what good is it? It feels meaningless. Uh, we are a people who say we pursue the path of wisdom, and we believe the greatest wisdom teacher ever was Jesus. That This Jesus who did the right thing and got crucified. And he tells us in John 16, next slide, he says, in this world you will have trouble. So just expect it. Jesus tells us, expect it. In this world you will have trouble. You will have hardship, you will have pain. Just expect it. You will but take heart, I have overcome the world. We are a people of hope. Even when we question the meaning of life, when we doubt, when we're just uncertain, there is something that has been planted within us from the beginning of time a seed of hope that keeps us going. And when we are uncertain, when we are in pain, when we are suffering, we have the one who suffered all things for all people to look to. And he tells us expect it. In this world you will have trouble. Uh, we don't want to hear that, do we? We don't <laughs> really, Jesus, Come on, uh, you're supposed to make us feel good. Uh, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Uh, this is the promise, that we can take heart. We can have hope when things look hopeless and meaningless. It's the same Jesus who took the bread on the night he was betrayed. He did the right thing, and he got betrayed by one of his closest friends. Uh, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, This is my body, broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. Uh, generation come, generation go, no one remembers. We, we haven't forgotten this Jesus who 2,000 years ago says, do this in remembrance of me. 2,000 years later, we're still doing it together to remember. uh, There is one who suffered and died. Uh, In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death. The Lord's death did the right thing and you got crucified until he comes. It's not the end of the story. Whatever you're experiencing that feels meaningless, that feels hopeless, that feels despairing, it is not the end of the story. We are also a people of resurrection, a people of hope. And a people who believe that this same Jesus who came and lived among us and died on a cross and rose again will come again. And that should give us great hope. God, we thank you that Jesus, uh, as the author of Hebrews says, that Jesus, even uh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and scorned its shame. God, thank you for the example of Jesus, the life of Jesus. Thank you for the example and lives of others who followed the way of Jesus, like Dr. Martin Luther King, like the early followers of Jesus. God, help us to be a people who walk in that way, that when we're faced with internal conflict, when we're faced with despairing situations and things that feel meaningless, we would turn our eyes to you, that you would wake us up to a deeper purpose, a deeper love, a deeper hope, a deeper wisdom that points us forward towards you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. An idea of surrendering is simply accepting what's already true. It's letting go of the myth of control. That we somehow have control over our own lives and surrendering. I love the way David Benner puts it. He wrote a book called Surrender to Love. It's just letting go of control and surrendering to what's already true, that we are held in love. Uh, We were created in love, and we're held in love, and we're being redeemed in love. And so as you go, may you accept that reality control surrender to God's love and as you battle internally with the conflicts as you wrestle with God as you question meaning and purpose may you know this Jesus who said in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world And may you walk ever closely with Jesus and know his love. And may you find deeper purpose and deeper meaning than ever before. And may the grace and peace of Christ be yours in abundance. Amen.